I'm Lonnie Diane Rich. And I'm Dr. Kelly Jones. And this is Big Strong. Yes. Welcome to Big Strong Yes, the show where two best friends read books together and listen to each other's stories. This season, our book is Burnout by Emily Nagotsky, PhD, and Amelia Nagotsky, DMA. I'm story expert Lonnie Diane Rich. And I'm researcher Dr. Kelly Jones. The reading we'll be discussing today is Burnout Chapter 8, Grow Mighty. Next week's reading is the conclusion, and we're going to have our finale looking back at the whole book and what we got out of this discussion, so that's going to be a lot of fun. Go to chipperish.com and look under Big Strong Yes to find our complete schedule, or look in your show notes and find the link there. Um, okay, everybody, so uh, we missed a week. Um, we had Sorry. life kind of got in the way. <laughs> so we had to skip a week, which is okay. But now here we are. So these notes I started like, I don't know, two, three weeks ago. Yeah. And then I came back to them to finish them up and found that whole kind of this whole chapter infuriating again. So it kind of refreshed that whole experience. But before we get started talking about all the ways in which this chapter has made us nuts, um, let's go ahead and get started on the homework. Dr. Kelly Jones, what was your homework and how'd it go? Okay, so I love when I get off schedule on BSY. And then I'm like, wait, when did we last record? What was my homework? What did I say? I don't remember what. Ch- yeah, so <laughs> I had to yeah. go back and listen because I was like, Oh, yeah. So um, my homework was to journal about sleep. Mm-hmm. And basically, too long don't read. I can't sleep. To quote Kate McKinnon, we notice we hate this. Um, <laughs> so <laughs> I'm like, you know, I did have some takeaways. From the last reading, you know, like mm-hmm. my insomnia is as bad for me as I thought it was. Adrenaline mm-hmm. fatigue is a thing. And yeah. finding ways to get more sleep is really important. So that's good. Um, but the chapter didn't offer a lot of strategies that I found helpful. So I decided with the journaling to stop looking for solutions and look at the problem. So like really just journal about the question, why can't I sleep? And I don't usually ask that question um, because the why has never mattered much. Like insomnia and exhaustion were just my normal. That's how it is. And I got to do all the things. It doesn't matter if I'm yeah. tired. Mm-hmm. So, but now I'm asking these questions. Why can't I sleep? Why is sleep so fraught for me? When do I sleep well? What are the conditions that help me feel more relaxed at night? Why does sleep feel like a thing I should resist? And it helps to journal that from a place of curiosity instead of the lens of I'm doing all this wrong, something is wrong with me. Mm-hmm. So that approach to journaling, it felt like, I mean, it is the hi, baby, what do you need? But it's yeah. also, hi, baby, you haven't gotten what you've needed. That's okay. That's not your fault. Let's figure out how to get what you need now, which is a very different way of thinking and a very different way of journaling for me. So I don't have the answers. Like I didn't do the journal and unlock the, oh, this is, you know, it's not that. It's not like, you know, not like that. Yeah. You know, yes, 25th person who has asked me if I have tried melatonin. Yes. Yes, I have. Thank you. Um, (laughs) That's not, that's not where we're going here. Um, But really taking the time to deep dive into, into just questioning and just Mm -hmm. letting answers come up and letting questions come up. Um, It's very uncomfortable because I feel like I either need to figure it out or I need to stop being so high maintenance, whatever, like special snowflake or whatever I've got going on. Wait, Um, wait, 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 wait. Well, no, 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 no. I'm not saying that's okay. I'm saying that's the mental process. That's the mental process. Yeah, that's not. So that's what I'm setting aside to be like, yes, it is good. Like you can write about this. This is worth exploring for you. And mm-hmm. just be curious about your answers and like, the, don't grade the why and, mm-hmm. and don't worry about the how right now. So it's, it's very different journaling about That's it this so way. That's so interesting. I yeah. love, I love that you're doing that. I love that you're taking the approach of, hey, baby, you need this and you haven't gotten it. Let's figure out why. Um, because I think uh, attacking the why of it, like what is it that's going on with your insomnia? Um, you know, I think that that's huge. That's such a huge step forward for you. So how as infuriating as this book has been, the fact that it got you that. Yeah. 
Like that's enough that I'm glad we did this. Yeah. That's enough that I'm I'm you know that it got you to think about it from that perspective of not just I don't sleep and that's it, but why don't I sleep? Yeah. What is it that's preventing me from sleeping? Yeah. And even if you don't have the answers right now, I mean, this is a problem that has dogged you your whole life. So it's going to take a little while to unravel. Yeah. You know, if it was that easy, you would have uncovered it by now. You know? Yeah. Yeah. And it, it's kind of a fun side effect of this book, because when this book resonates with me, it resonates very strongly. And when it doesn't, yeah. that mm-hmm. that discord, that disharmony is also very strong. But the best way to get me into a more proactive problem-solving mode is to Mm -hmm. piss me off intellectually. (laughs) So. (laughs) I love it. You know, like if you're presenting a theoretical framework that I find limited or faulty, like I am going, it it kicks something in me to where like, Mm -hmm. no, okay, This book is asking the right questions, but I don't like the answers. Where else can I go? How else can I think about Mm -hmm. this? So instead of just slamming the book down, it really does open a, yeah, you know, like, how do I reframe this? How do I rethink about this? If I was posing this research question, where are the gaps in the literature? And like, Mm -hmm. that works really well for for my brain. So like self-care equals qualitative methodology. That's that's all I got. Well, no, but I mean, the thing that I love about that is that for people who struggle with self-care, which I think tends to be, you know, like most of us, Mm -hmm. reframing it into something that does speak to you, like you, it's research, it's qualitative methodology. Like, you know, there are certain ways in which different things speak to us. Like for me, I have a technology thing, right? You know, I love technology. Um, And my homework was to sleep right was just to to sleep and you know try to do everything I could I've been wearing my watch at night my little Mm -hmm. Apple watch that gives me all of my feedback and like here's all this stuff and you know um and how long you slept and how well you slept and all that kind of stuff and so I have all of this data which is kind of fun to scroll through and kind of figure out when do I sleep the best when do I sleep the worst and um, I had a week off um my youngest came home uh for a couple of weeks and so I took a week off of work and when I didn't have to wake up every morning to get to work and I didn't have that hanging over my head all of those nights my sleep was in the green Mm -hmm. you know like all of those nights I went to bed I slept all the way through and then I woke up in the morning just dealt with whatever had to be dealt with but because I didn't feel like that kind of hovering I have to wake up at a certain time I have to be ready at a certain time um that really really uh helped me sleep so the I guess the thing is that as long as I'm working a traditional you know nine to five type job uh that I you know maybe I need to go to bed a little bit earlier try Mm -hmm. something so that I can get those hours in yeah um but it's it's really neat to um to kind of like take a look at what my relationship with sleep is because one of the things with sleep is that I've always kind of uh, had this attitude toward it the way I've had an attitude toward everything else which is like this isn't working for you tough sack up and move on right you know I mean that's kind of like always the way that I deal with everything and so this new approach of saying you know baby slash body what is it that you need and then listening for the response and then doing what my body has asked you know mm-hmm. it's it's an approach that requires practice But it is one of the real values, I think, of having done this, you know, this reading is that it is giving me that ability to not judge what I need and be like, you don't need that. Stop demanding. Stop thinking that. Yeah, exactly. Like your stuff with special snowflake and high maintenance. I hate high maintenance because I think it's a misogynistic term that pisses me off. It's only applied ever to women, Um, women who ask for anything, for them for themselves are high maintenance and I just don't I don't like the term I don't like the mindset I don't like any of that but yet that is what I apply to myself when I think what you can't sleep oh you poor baby you'll sleep when you're dead you know that Mm -hmm. kind of thing um so like this whole process which applies to sleep and pretty much everything else of just listening to my body asking my body what it needs listening to what it tells me um has actually you know kind of uh, produced results in, in a lot of different areas yeah so um so not just sleep but in in a lot of different ways so I think that it's um it's really interesting just to take that moment and non-judgmentally say what do you need and then just do whatever that is yeah you know 
Like that's so, it's so mind breaking to me. And it's really interesting because I've been using my Fitbit for a little over Mm -hmm. a year. So I have a year of sleep data, Mm -hmm. which is fascinating because it is very difficult to argue with your own data. Yeah. You know, and it's one thing to be like, well, I'm tired. I have a hard time falling asleep. This thing tells me what time I fell asleep, what time I woke up. It gives me Mm -hmm. a sleep score. How long was I in REM? How long was I in deep sleep? Mm -hmm. Um, And when I can see, oh, (laughs) on average, I'm between five and five and a half hours of night of sleep. I feel like I'm not, hmm, I feel like I'm not exaggerating within Mm -hmm. myself that I'm having a hard time like I have data that supports my experience of insomnia um and I have found that to be really really helpful because Ellie it Mm -hmm. is difficult to argue with your own data and without Mm -hmm. I mean we know I'm a qualitative methodologist but but sometimes quantitative data is helpful you know Mm -hmm. especially when when you're taking that and looking at it for yourself and not judging it like if if the data is information yes that can be really powerful Mm mm-hmm yeah, no, that definitely helps a lot. So, um, yeah. so yeah, really interesting stuff. Yeah. Um, okay, so what were your reflections since our last episode? Okay, so buckle up. Um, All right. So I, I was like, oh, God, we're doing the conclusion next week. Like, that means uh-huh. this is the last chapter. Damn. I don't know. Why. <laughs> didn't quite, it didn't quite click. Um, but I realized, like, burnout has been more of a catalyst for other reading for me. Mm-hmm. because the gaps are so big that I'm looking for other ideas to fill them. And like at first that was frustrating. And now I've decided that's enlightening mm-hmm. um, because there is power in not this. So even if the reasons or strategies for a struggle presented in burnout don't feel like they apply to me, the struggles are still there and still yeah. real and still worth exploring. And so I'm getting a lot more out of the book by going in looking for questions instead of going mm-hmm. in looking for answers. Um, that being said, this week's chapter, no. Yeah. So it, it, the, the mad woman in the, in the attic metaphor is a big, strong no for yep. me. Um, but, huh, and we'll get there. Uh, but as I was reading, I noticed that I was feeling angry. I was huh. feeling angry. And the anger was not directed at the authors. It was bubbling up from the rage volcano that lives in me, the one that I usually shush and ignore. So points Mm -hmm. for naming the feeling and saying the feeling. Your therapist can be so proud of you. So proud, yes, because (laughs) I was angry. And I realized that that is because, uh, because the most hurtful things that have been said and done to me, like the ones that create the conditions for this inner critic to thrive, Mm -hmm. have been done and said by other people. Mm-hmm. I don't feel gaslit about this. Like, I know that shitty treatment was cruel and harmful and unfair and unjust. I know I should have been cared for better and treated better. And underneath that clarity is not confusion. Like, it's a whole bunch of anger. Um, uh-huh. You know, and so, like, I deserved better and I didn't get it. I didn't deserve to go through the things I went through, but that didn't stop them from happening. And because that knowing doesn't change anything. I tend to see my anger as useless. Mm-hmm. It doesn't do any good. Anger about hurt doesn't change a damn thing. Right. This was my my first draft. So I was like, well, anger doesn't do any good, except when it does. And I'm realizing that this anger, like despite how much I ignore it, has become the mortar and bricks for the boundaries I've built in my life now. Mm-hmm. Like I didn't realize that was where they were coming from, but that is where... That, that is coming from and that clarity feels like a kind of emotional sobriety where I can mm-hmm. realize that I am angry without losing control of myself in a fiery pit so like this is new right and there is power in being able to say that was not okay mm-hmm. I should not have been treated that way I am worthy of love despite how I have been treated like that to me feels like a path to Mm self-compassion now we're at the beginning of this path like we need a machete and maybe a bulldozer and like (laughs) possibly a backhoe yeah Yeah. and somebody (laughs) to map it out because I don't do space or navigation very well but my inner mad woman is not crazy she's not delusional she's not irrational she's not mistaken and she's not confused she is fucking furious and she has a right to be angry and so I was getting worked up 
and frustrated in this chapter. So I put the book down and I went to Bell Hooks mm-hmm. uh, for her amazing work all about love. And that is where I am finding the words and ideas that I need to grapple with self-compassion. I love Be- it. Hooks, like starting thesis, she says, we are not born knowing how to love anyone, either ourselves or somebody else. However, we are born able to respond to care. Mm-hmm. So respond to care is how we receive love. Self-compassion, therefore, is responding to myself with care, literally receiving care from myself, speaking with mm-hmm. care to myself, loving myself as a verb. But we are not taught to love ourselves. Therefore, mm-hmm. we have to learn, and that can be an act of choice. Mm-hmm. So that that that's like what I'm going into this reading with because I the 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 misogyny of the woman in the attic like I can't I can't I need to set the attic on fire. Yeah. So that's where there's I am. so much bad about that. But before <laughs> we get into how terrible, yeah, this no, you have to you have to reflect. Metaphor. Yes. Yeah. Oh yeah, I will. But before I reflect, I just want to reflect on your reflection because oh my god, this is fucking amazing. Like I love. I love hearing this from you. I love hearing this absolute, you know, firm statement. I did not deserve this. I deserve better. That the anger is there, that you're acknowledging the anger, that you're not, um, you're not feeling bad about the fact that you're feeling this anger, that it's unleashing all this for you. I think that that's amazing. Like that, what you just did and what you just said, like, I haven't heard that from you before. I think that's amazing. Like, I haven't heard that from you. You're always mitigating your anger. You're always thinking, well, maybe I don't deserve this. Maybe I'm not that, you know, maybe, maybe I did something wrong. Maybe like you, you always hold that space for where, for some way, in some reason you deserved it, you know, Mm -hmm. or like you weren't good enough or whatever. Um, I love hearing you say all of this. Like that to me is the best thing about having done this book, you know, (laughs) is like it made you mad enough. Yeah, it pissed me <laughs> to off break enough. Through. Yeah. <laughs> well, to I break was, through to your own self care. I yeah, love it. I was very mad for the woman in the attic, like yeah. furious <laughs> on her behalf, mm-hmm. and and then to be like, oh, oh, wait a minute, wait a minute, like, hmm, mm-hmm, okay, mm-hmm. yeah, I'm mad. Um, that it is interesting that that clarity around things is is you can I can see the anger that's there. I can feel it there. Mm-hmm. but I can think about that rationally. Like I can, mm-hmm. you know, so it's, it's a new experience for me. Um, but there's a whole lot of it in there. So yay. Oh my yay. God. No, I love, <laughs> I love that you're, you're, you know, kind of clearing all of this stuff out. Um, yeah. And I mean, you know, like this week's reading made me angry too. We're going to get to that in a minute. Um, You know, my reflections like on this book at this point, I'm just at the book where this book about managing stress stresses me out every time I have to go to it. Yep. Um, It stresses me out because I feel like, you know, again, I've talked about this before, just that pull into the mindset. Like I'm not that far out of this mindset that they've got, you know, this highly gendered, this highly heteronormative, this highly like speaking to all of my axes of privilege, you know? And Mm -hmm. so it's one of these things where like every time I go, go into it I'm stressed out about um you know about you know not seeing the things that are wrong in it not being critical enough not thinking deeply enough kind of getting lulled into that space again um so I find it really interesting that the book about a burnout and about no stress and about managing your stress actually causes stress but I don't think that's too terrible a thing because I think that there is there's a value in being uncomfortable and mm-hmm. in getting used to discomfort and being okay with discomfort. Uh, my problem is that I'm not okay with uh, making mistakes in these areas. Like I'm not okay with saying something that, um, yeah, that's ignorant or whatever that like, you know, especially because people listen to me and if I say something stupid and you know, whatever, like it just, it feels really stressful for me because I'm, I, I, you know, and I've realized I've kind of grappled through the process of this book of like my discomfort with being wrong. It's Mm. not just like I'm getting comfortable with comfort, but like being wrong about stuff Mm -hmm. is something that, um, that I really, truly struggle with, um, because I'm behind the mic, 
you know, because people listen to me. So I'm like, yeah. you know, um, and I think that like, there's also something to where like, I, I have that perfectionist streak in me. I have to always be right because I was born again, again, like anybody who's been with big, strong, yes, long enough. I was, I was born defective. I'm not as good as other people just in general. So I have to be that much better in order to be half as good. And that's just still, I mean, still, I talked about that in the beginning of BSY and I still struggle struggle with that mindset. Mm -hmm. But like, it's not okay for me to make a mistake because I'm already wretched. Right. So like if I make a mistake that just, it's like it, 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 it digs me deeper into good person debt. Like it's just really weird. So, um, so anyway, that's something that this book has really kind of helped me think about, even though I'm not really past it yet. Like, mm-hmm. I, cause I know, like, you know, I feel like I, I know my value. Like I know that I'm okay. I know that it's okay for me to fuck up that like when I do, I try to listen and learn and, you know, and improve as I go. And I think that that's like the most I can ask from myself is yeah. just that I think about it and I move forward and I do a better job of humaning, you know? Um, but yeah, like this, this book has been a real challenge for me in that way. And then, and then we move into this week's reading where we've got this unbelievably like, okay, unbelievably misogynistic and racist character and, and treatment of this character from the book Jane Eyre. Um, and then using that as a metaphor that confused the hell out of me. Like it wasn't even, it didn't feel to me like it was even a clear metaphor and I wasn't sure where it was supposed to go. But I think that your uh your the your notes on why this is such a terrible metaphor, this mad woman in the attic is such a terrible metaphor are so good that I would really love for you to start this part of that discussion. Oh, because okay. damn girl. Yeah. yeah. So I hate this metaphor um yes. a lot. Mm-hmm. Jane Eyre was taught to me as a groundbreaking feminist text. in 2000 in my gender studies class and Mm -hmm. the fact that it was hailed as a groundbreaking feminist text explains so much yeah um Mm -hmm. but but we don't hear bertha's story bertha Mm -hmm. is spectacle she is there to be observed and judged she is the the woman who has been locked away for failing to behave within her social Mm -hmm. contract she doesn't tell us her perspective we don't see her we we watch her we judge her and we don't know her she is mm-hmm. you know she is silenced and the only vehicle she has for communicating her story is violence and quote unquote bad behavior mm-hmm. so like for a different take on the woman in the attic read the wide sargasso sea uh by jean mm-hmm. rise it's a totally different perspective it's great but if we're pulling inspiration for dealing with this mean critical voice in our head right if we're pulling that by equating that that voice with a Mm -hmm. woman who was locked in an attic against her will abused and dehumanized aren't we just dehumanizing that part of ourselves and kind of patting ourselves on the back for doing it Mm -hmm. like why isn't she allowed to express her rage why aren't we talking about getting her out of the damn attic yeah like, uh-huh. uh hello. <laughs> um, so the the metaphor feels misogynistic and problematic to me. And so, like, the book defines this inner mad woman as the uncomfortable, fragile part of ourselves that serves a very important function. She grew inside us to manage the chasm between who we are and who, who human giver syndrome expects us to be. And mm-hmm. I'm like, okay, stop. Like... <laughs> If that's her function, she Uh was planted there on purpose. This inner whatever voice is not a natural organic growth. It was programmed within us without our consent, put there on purpose, and then nurtured by like champion gardening patriarchal societal bullshit. So, you know, the chapter starts out like, would you let someone say the mean things you say to yourself to someone you love? No, I would not. Mm-hmm. Would I say the mean things I say to myself to someone I love? No, I would not. But here's the thing. I was explicitly taught that mean, critical, hateful language. People said those things to me. So I learned to say them to myself. People mm-hmm. taught me to doubt, dislike, and criticize myself. These are learned skills. 
and I am a very good student. Mm-hmm. So it's, I, I'm like, I have so many problems with this metaphor. Um, and I think, I think it's trying, the book is trying to make this personification connection. There are therapeutic modalities mm-hmm. for personalizing that voice. So like you give yes. it a name, your main inner critic, you try to have a conversation with that person or you try to, you know, Elizabeth Gilbert, you can ride in the back seat, but you can't drive. Exactly. So, like mm-hmm. there is a way to do that. And and I think Jane Eyre being one of the author's favorites, like it jumps to, to this example, but the metaphor is proving the theory of the problem of society yes. without, mm-hmm. and not on purpose. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so yeah. I'm just like... Oh it's a reinforcing God. of it. Yes. Yeah, it's yes. terrible. Yes. It's terrible. And, and yeah, so, you know, they say, well, the, the mad woman in the attic, I'm using air quotes, has only two mm. options. Is the world a lying asshole with bogus expectations or is something wrong with us? Mm-hmm. And I usually default to something wrong with me because that's what yep. I was taught. But there have been times when I knew there was nothing wrong with me. I Mm -hmm. knew there was something wrong with the world. I knew I was being mistreated. I knew this was not just. Mm -hmm. Without a way to process the rage that that causes. So, like, I, it's not so much a question of, oh, I'm just assuming this is always me. There are times I know this shit Mm -hmm. is wrong. Mm -hmm. But there is nowhere to take that. You know, it's the, yes, this sucks, so what? Get over it. Mm-hmm. that that is the piece that I'm like, okay, so eventually how long do you take it before you mm-hmm. set your prison on fire? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And I mean, this is the thing, like I hate Jane Eyre. I loved it when I was a kid, but I hate Jane Eyre. I super fucking hate it. And uh, and this is the thing too, is that there actually is a lot of Jane Eyre that I quite like, mm-hmm. but oh yeah, everything that's not Rochester. Rochester is, I mean, if you have not read Jane Eyre as an adult, read it again i read it in the context of learning all the things i learned when i was a kid when i was 16 years old reading jane Eyre, i was like oh my god it's so romantic and them in the garden and i always remember the garden scene where he like confesses his love and all of that kind of stuff and it's always you know like that's always so wonderful to me and then i don't think about the fact that he's keeping this woman in his attic you know who is his wife like um, and because she is mentally unwell, which if we'd had any sense of everything that she'd been through, we might have had a little sympathy for. We don't look at anything that she's been through. Um, and also he's terrible and he pretends to be like a, a fortune teller to try to get Jane to admit her. Lo- like everything he does is ridiculous and drama queen. And he is just a terrible, terrible human. So. Jane Eyre in the end when it ends with her getting back together with him and we're supposed to be happy about that as an ending for Jane like that always drives me crazy not to mention that everything that happens to Bertha I mean she's a black woman it's steeped in racism it makes my brain hurt when I read the book and I reject the rubber stamping of her identity as quote-unquote the mad woman in the attic yeah um because everything that that says about the lack of empathy for her and her experience it just it makes me fucking insane so um all of that said as i'm reading it i found myself breaking mad woman as you know as it's intended here which is you know crazy lady quotes Mm -hmm. you know um as being a mad woman meaning that the woman or person if we want to take this gendering down a notch is forced to live by themselves in an attic so they don't embarrass or shame you is mad as in they're fucking pissed off you know yeah um so so that slight shifting of that framework uh, helps it work a little bit better for me um she grew inside us to manage the chasm between who we are and who human giver syndrome expects us to be she's forever oscillating between rage and helpless despair um so so i i you know i appreciated that i thought you know well that's something like I can understand that that inner because you know in in the first season of BSY I talked about what trauma does to you that it splits you into two people there's the one who knows and the one who gets through the day right and I think that there's something to that in this in that the one who knows knows right like uh, the one who has to get through the day me I'm the one who always thinks it's me who always like my first default is I've done something wrong I'm wrong I'm broken I did this you know and that is initially exactly where I'm going to go for so anytime that 
I am in a situation where whatever the forces are around me are happy to gaslight me to make me think it's my fault. I'm right with them. Like I do their work for them, you know, um, but that the, the inner person, right, the inner angry woman knows that this is wrong. This is the the part that knows, right? Knows mm-hmm. that this is wrong, knows that this is broken, knows that this is hurting me and knows that I don't deserve it and that I didn't do anything wrong, you know? Um, and so that chasm there, you know, becomes unpassable for the part of me that knows. And it's infuriating. And after a while, that just gets really, really bad. Um, so with all of that, like, I have always been prone to believe, of course, that the problem is me. And and like you were saying, these are things that were taught. I was taught to abuse myself because of the abuse that I received as a child, you know. So I was taught that this is the way that that this works, you know, mm-hmm. and that the only way for me to be even remotely passable as as a human is to berate and beat myself because that is what I was shown as a child. Um, so the idea that that trauma splits you into two, that there's this angry person in the attic who's had enough of being left there and will burn the place down. On occasion, we'll burn it down because it needs to be burnt down. You know, I do understand that. I don't think that's what they were saying. I was so confused as we move through this chapter. I'm like, so wait, what is this mad woman? Is this the enraged but righteous part of you that knows you don't deserve this? Or it's the self-critical part of you, which I feel is not the enraged part that knows the truth, but the part of you that gets through the day that shows your face to everybody else. And we are encouraged in this chapter to further silence the mad woman to keep her in the attic. And yeah. so I, I don't understand that. So then when we get to the section where they're like, describe your inner mad woman. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, like ask her what she fears or what she's grieving, listen to her stories, never forgetting she's a mad woman. Remind yeah. her that you are the grown up, the homeowner or the teacher, and she can trust you to maintain the attic so that she always has a safe place to stay. What? I mean, now we're saying that the mad woman is wrong to be mad about all this stuff. She's not insane. We're insane. She knows what reality is, but we're going to shove her aside in this metaphor again, keep her in that attic, keep her locked away. Um, and tell her that she not only needs to hide away, but deserves to. I mean, shouldn't we be looking to integrate her into ourselves so that we don't continue to live hovering over this chasm that she alone is sane enough to recognize and be pissed off about? Um, so, yeah, like, I don't I don't understand it. It doesn't make sense to me. Um, and, and I can't like, you know, I can't really describe her because I don't understand what it is we're talking about anymore. Yeah. Yeah, me too. And I, I, it's such a, a falling apart metaphor. Mm -hmm. Like it's, 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 it's slippery and it's, and it's, I I don't know, like you keep using that word. I don't think it means what you think it means kind of (laughs) space. Um, but like, I really like the reframe of mad woman because Mm -hmm. I'm like, yeah, that, that inner part of me that has had enough and is just yes. permanently pissed off because what are we saying? The only way you can express your rage is to lock yourself in your own private attic and scream into the void because yeah. if you express it publicly, someone else might lock you up or worse. Mm-hmm. Our society loves institutionalizing, discrediting, silencing, harming, and killing angry women. Like there is a price to be paid for expressing rage and being called Mm -hmm. crazy is not the worst of it. Yeah. So I'm like, yeah, okay. Describe your inner mad woman. My inner mad woman is tired. My (laughs) outer mad woman is tired. I'm fucking tired, y'all. So, Uh but the idea of listen to her stories, never forgetting she's a mad woman. Okay, stop. Like, Mm -hmm. what does that mean? Let Let her rant, but don't believe what she says. Pacify her, but don't take her seriously Mm -hmm. it sounds like pat her on the head but she's crazy so don't trust her right remind her you're the grown-up the homeowner the teacher and she can trust you to maintain the attic okay stop again what how about we get her the hell out of there like (laughs) she might want to go to the coffee shop for fuck's sake like how how is being a homeowner 
part of this? Are we, are, are you have to ascend yeah. to a certain level of financial class before you can tap dance with your mad woman? Like, it appears so. Right? Like, mm-hmm. maintain the ad, really burn it down. Like, yeah. what? Um, and, and then they say, thank her for the hard work she has done to help you survive. And I'm like, I'm sorry. No, what? Has mm-hmm. my inner ve- mean voice helped me survive? Mm-hmm. I don't think so. I don't understand this metaphor. Like, I don't keep either. her imprisoned, but do it nicely and send a thank you card on Mad Woman in the Attic Day. Like, I don't, It. I'm so confused. Uh, okay, good. You know, thank you. Because I felt so confused by this chapter and I thought maybe it's just me. Maybe I'm just not understanding it. But it does seem to me like this metaphor gets all twisted up on itself in a Mobius strip and you can never actually find the beginning or the end. Um, So yeah, I'm so confused by all of it. And that makes it even more infuriating because yes, the part of you that knows the truth should not be locked up and set aside and told to sit down and shut up, which is why she's mad in the first place. Right. You know? So all of that just makes me crazy. And then we move into this section on toxic perfectionism. Um, back in BSY season one, I remember defining perfection as running from vulnerability because if you are not perfect, you are then subject to judgment. Mm-hmm. Um, and so they say the fundamental problem with perfectionism is that it does terrible things to your monitor. You set an impossible goal, your monitor won't have it, and it gives up. And yeah. I mean, yeah, like, okay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, you know, like I, I, we have this little bit about this perfectionism as being, and, and, and so the perfectionism then creates the angry woman in the attic. Is, is that, so, so is she then mad because you can't be perfect? I think they're saying that angry woman in the attic creates perfectionism. Creates toxic perfectionism. perfectionism. Yeah. So, and and like for me, I didn't, it's not so much, I'm not a perfectionist. Like Uh that bar is just too high. I'm a realist. (laughs) Um, But I am excellent at harsh self-criticism, which was like their other, you know, job Mm -hmm. duties and responsibilities of the mad woman in the attic. Um, So I think they're saying that comes from her. As, as her reaction to the violence and toxicity that, that we, you know, experience in the world. Mm-hmm. But they describe that harsh self-criticism as where the gap between you and the expected you is both your fault and a sign of your essential failure in life. Mm-hmm. The result is guilt and shame. And then we get a nice shout out to Brene Brown. Mm-hmm. Um, and and I, do, I do resonate with... This is both your fault and a sign of your essential failure in life. Oh, yeah. But it Mm -hmm. feels more like self-loathing and self-doubt. Yeah. Than it does, like, you will never be right. Mm -hmm. You know, never good. Like, that's where that comes from. Never good enough. Mm -hmm. Yeah, more than necessarily guilt and shame. But I'm like, yeah, if if the mad woman has, like, two highly developed skill sets, and one of them is toxic perfectionism, and one of them is harsh self-criticism... Then I am a harsh self-criticism. Like that's mm-hmm. that's where I would yes. identify with that. Mm-hmm. I think that's mm-hmm. what they were saying. And maybe you have both. And if so, I'm sorry. <laughs> I think I have both. Yeah. Because <laughs> I do try. Like I fail. I fail all the time. I'm nowhere even near perfect. But I always feel like I need to. Um, like yeah. Like again. Like I was talking about earlier. I'm not allowed to make a mistake. Because any mistake I make gets me further into that, like, terrible, unworthy human debt, you know, Mm -hmm. that it just feels like, even though it's an unachievable goal, and I will never be perfect, and that I'm never going to be beyond criticism, that's never going to happen. And I know that I still feel the expectation. So it's not even like I strive for perfection, but I do expect it. Like, I expect it from myself. So every day, every minute of every day is failure for me. Like, constant failure so that just feeds that self-loathing feeds that self-doubt it is a machine Mm, that i mean mm -hmm. when you think about it like it's terrible and evil but it fucking knows what it's doing yeah you know it is a machine that runs itself if you could put a solar panel on that Mm -hmm. like you could power all your tech (laughs) exactly oh my tech yes i know which i love so much (laughs) Yeah. So and and I and I kind of get where they're trying to go with this. They're like, okay, there's this main voice in your head. 
try to try to understand it and be kind to it. It expresses itself through these ways, and the answer to managing it is self compassion. So, like, I yeah, I can see at a high level the the point of this, like the the, the argument that's being made. And they mm-hmm. said, like, the opposite of harsh self-criticism and toxic perfectionism is self-compassion. Self-compassion is good for you. When you're gentle with yourself, you grow mighty. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, but then they point out, like, but for some of us, this harsh, toxic, mad woman, which the wording itself is misogynistic. Yes. I don't like it. Mm-hmm. You know, it's telling us we don't deserve lower stress or improved mood. It's right that we should suffer. We don't deserve kindness or compassion or to grow mighty. And she will punish us forever no matter what we achieve. So I'm like, okay, mm-hmm. look. If your mad woman is a prisoner in the attic, set mm-hmm. her free. Yeah. If she is holding you prisoner, evict her. But mm-hmm. like, don't just... The attic situation's got to change. <laughs> yeah, like, exactly. Is- exactly. And the idea, too, like, when I look at this, I see the mad woman as being the person who's right. Yeah. And that the toxic self-criticism comes from the daily me that works, you know, that is out there doing the, the quote-unquote, I believe they mean metaphorical homeowner because that is the metaphorical or- home in which the metaphorical attic exists we're getting really, really deep into yeah. our, it's, it's, it's turtles all the way down, like in all of this. Um, <laughs> but, you know, so all of that, it confuses me because what I see is that truth is the angry woman in the attic. She needs to be set free. And criticism is from the daily me that has to get through life, you know? Um, and really, again, like I see it as that trauma separates you into two people and then you need to integrate. Mm-hmm. You need to both of you get out into the sun, go out, get a coffee, you know, listen to some indie band music at the coffee shop and just kind of like, you know, work your way through it. Um, Allow yourself to acknowledge all of the things that make you so angry because they're wrong. Like if you just acknowledge, you're like, yeah, I get it. It's wrong. And Mm -hmm. you know, it's wrong. Like that for me is what causes a lot of my anger is that I'm doing this to myself by like internalizing that anger because I won't allow myself to admit that the problem is not me. Yeah. I will look for reasons why the problem is me. And that is the first answer that I am going to accept from Mm -hmm. anybody else is how is it my fault? You know, and that has caused a lot of problems in my life and that I've been trying to fix things I can't fix thinking that it was my fault that I can't fix them feeling even more frustrated. Again, it's just that self-perpetuating cycle. Um, So, you know, the solution to this, she says, right, or they say is self-compassion. Right. Um, So there's all these reasons why self-compassion is good for you and why it's really hard. You know, um, it's difficult because we need our whips if we don't uh, if we don't push ourselves, if we're not mean to ourselves, we won't accomplish anything. The idea is that the only reason why we've accomplished anything is because of those whips. And one of the things that they said is folks with more history of abuse and neglect, parental rejection and humiliation are more likely to experience harsh self-criticism and react to it with a sense of helplessness and isolation and I was like yeah you know sure on brand sense yeah that lines up I was like okay awesome so what Mm -hmm. do we do about that I'm like this is a sentence that needs to be continued into its own chapter right right like yeah yes if you have a history of abuse or neglect rejection or humiliation your experience of harsh Mm -hmm. self-criticism is probably going to be significant and you're going to feel isolated and helpless. Okay. Thanks for that yeah. insight, which I, I right. think is, is right on the money. It's spot on. Yeah, exactly. But what do you do about it? Because you know what you is not intuitive is mm-hmm. how to practice self-care when you have not experienced care. You haven't been taught, right? We were taught all of this abuse, all of the self-abuse. Like we continued the abuse cycle. I have continued the abuse cycle. My abusers were gone. 
Mm -hmm. Like not a part of my life, but I continued those abuse cycles for them, did their work for them, you know? Um, And that is part of this whole thing. And I mean, it's basically, they're just talking about like, these are the reasons why it's so hard to get into self-compassion. And the other things they bring up is like healing hurts. Once you stop reopening wounds, you've been inflicting on yourself for years, they finally begin to heal. And it is a new kind of pain. It can't be managed by the same strategies you've been using to manage the pain of the whip. So there's that that fear of of the kind of pain that is involved in the healing process. And then they're like that we're scared of our own strength, that human giver syndrome is going to fight back, uh, where there's going to be backlash. And we might fear the world's punishment if we dare to grow mighty. And so this, of course, like brings us back to BSY season one, that there's no daylight between not good enough. And who do you think you are? And once again, we're kind of stuck in that space, right? Is that as soon as you move past it, something, somebody makes sure to like kind of shove you back down in it. And so that these are the things that prevent us from engaging Mm -hmm. in self-compassion. So we've got all of that, you know, and how do we access self-compassion? Then, like, you know, where's, where's my roadmap for self-compassion? Yeah. Well, and out of all of this, like the the part that really made me stop and think was mm-hmm. healing hurts and yeah. old strategies for managing old pain won't mm-hmm. work. And they yeah. had the quote that like one of the people they interviewed said, practicing self-compassion would be like opening a well of sadness. And like yeah. that hit me in all the feels because I'm like, yes, a well of sadness, a volcano of rage. Mm-hmm. Once you open that seal (laughs) yeah you know like uh there's a lot in there um and so it is like learning new strategies for dealing with that kind of pain like it is it is a different kind of healing it's very uncomfortable yeah um I don't know that we have a lot of good guidance on how to do that Mm-mm. And I need more explicit instruction that could be a whole book right there yeah you know I mean, yeah. and yeah, and I mean, granted, it is, you know, Kristen Neff does a lot of work on self-compassion. Like, there's a lot of work out there on self-compassion. But like, in here, you know, uh, they talk about like, you know, try loving kindness for others. Mm-hmm. You know, that like understanding how you show compassion to others can teach you how to show it to yourself. You know, yeah. um, because I don't think we've ever had a problem having compassion for others. No, not yeah. really. Not unless I'm really mad. Yeah. Um, but yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, some others. Yeah, some, some others. others don't get a lot of compassion. <laughs> Asterisk. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. So, you know, there's this whole thing of self-compassion. How do we do that? We learn how to do that by thinking about how we treat the people we love and all of that. Um, you know, and I guess that's just it for that. Um, and then we get into how to grow mighty, you know, mm-hmm. um, so the first thing is befriend the mad woman. And then they talk about connected knowing versus separate knowing. And for anybody who maybe didn't host that episode and sort of skimmed that chapter and needed to go back and, you know, refresh yourself, separate knowing is critical. Connected knowing is empathetic. Um, so, uh, yeah, that was just, you know part of the connected chapter that I wasn't here for. Um, So they say even the most intuitive connected knower is likely to shift into separate knowing when they relate to their own internal experience. Um, And for me, like I have always felt like I cannot be objective about my experience. So I do go outside of it and I do look in at myself very, very critically. Um, which is what has made me so susceptible to gaslighting, you know, where I will prioritize yeah. someone else's narrative over my own lived experience because I feel that I can't be objective about it. And the abuse that I experienced as a child kind of installed this in my basic operating system, making me both suspicious of my connected and separate knowing, um, which basically made me like the perfect victim for the sociopath, you know? Yeah. Um. So all of that together, like my ability to to have connected knowing to my own experience has been, you know, seriously challenged. Um, And I find I struggle with that. Do you feel like that? Yeah, there was a part of this I really liked. And there was a part of this where I was really confused. So Mm -hmm. the connected knowing, I like them saying, friendship with your own internal experience is powerful. Mm -hmm. 
Like that is a different thing. If you are looking at yourself in an attempt to understand, you are approaching mm-hmm. your experience with curiosity the way you would for someone else, right? Yeah. I want to get to know you. I care about your experience. I want to, you know, if I'm approaching myself with that same lens, it is a very different experience than thinking about something and judging myself for it. Um, so, like, for example, I have a, a very hmm, interesting history of, of behavior as a teenager that still bothers me. Uh And I have struggled with this a lot. Um, A huge part of my I am a bad, terrible person stems from this period of my life. And it is very easy because, first of all, I judge 15-year-old Kelly by 43-year-old Kelly standards, which is always Mm -hmm. fun. Um, But it is very difficult to approach that thinking with this compassionate, connected knowing. Mm -hmm. Until I rewrite that origin story as a parent I have parented a teenager so when I change that from I did this me my to my child is doing this Mm -hmm. that perspective was incredible like the 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 power from that was amazing Mm -hmm. because how I would respond to that teenager as her mother as a Mm -hmm. parent was so different than how I view it when I'm thinking of it as myself. Mm-hmm. So, like, I don't know if that's exactly the kind of friendship with your own internal experience or connected knowing that they're describing, but it was very helpful for me mm-hmm. to, to view things through that lens. Um, but I'm still confused about why I should thank this mad woman and, like, how has self-criticism helped me survive? I don't understand... Yeah. Why I should say thank you to the mean, mean, mean voice. Like, thank you to the person holding the rage with clarity. Yes. Uh Uh-huh. Sure. But the -hmm. the self-criticism is not helpful. (laughs) So I'm so confused about, like, the, the, the persona dynamic of this. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'm. I've been confused for this entire chapter and you're one of the smartest people I know. So the fact that you are also confused makes me feel a little <laughs> bit better about my confusion. Cause I thought I was just being stupid. Hey, did you catch that self-criticism uh, uh-huh, there? Did, did you catch that? I did. There you go. Yeah, no, see, there you go. Mm-hmm. Same thing. Um, so moving on into how to grow mighty part two, the turn and face the strange thing, creating observational distance um, from yourself when you've done something or you're getting called out on something. Um, and they say when your self-criticism starts to get ragey, you turn to face the strange. Turning to look at uncomfortable truths, turning to face the strange is a terrifying advantage. People on the receiving end of oppression or violence or the impacts of climate change don't have a choice about it. People with some degree of power, privilege, or opportunity have to choose it. The fearful advantage of knowing what is true, all of what is true. Um so isolating this idea out from the rest, which is really confusing. I mean, like, yeah, like, you know, mm-hmm. yeah, choose it, look at it, say what the truth is and uh, make your peace with it, you know, um, yeah. rather yeah. than becoming defensive about um, about the distance between who you want to be and, and who you may actually be, I mm-hmm. think is what they're talking about here. I like it. I like observational distance as the idea of how can I look at this differently? Yeah. Um, And they say, know what's true. And if you can, love what's true. Mm -hmm. So in order to do that, you have to ask what is true Mm -hmm. and be willing to be uncomfortable. Yeah. You know, be willing to be uncomfortable. Um, I know the first time I was I was studying the idea of privilege I balked very hard against the idea that I had any because I was like, Mm -hmm. I grew up poor. I'm a single mom. You got to be kidding me because I did not know. I mean, that is the the very definition, right? I proved the theory by my reaction. (laughs) I love it when that happens like that, Mm -hmm. you know, because that is the truth. Like I, I had so much privilege from being white in America Mm -hmm. that I did not know I had privilege of being white in America. Um, And it is very uncomfortable, but there is Mm -hmm. a point like, are you willing to consider 
something being true that you have not considered. And sometimes right. that that is the inverse. Are you willing to consider the fact that maybe it's not you, maybe it's the world? Mm-hmm. Like, you know, it works yeah. both ways. But I do yeah. like observational distance. Um, mm-hmm. I think that was kind of a, a helpful idea. I like uncomfortable feelings as information. Yes. I like that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think that that's, you know... I think that that's good. I like that idea. And I know that there are times where I've had to struggle with that. I mean, we all have, you know, um, the dis- the difference between who you want to be and who you actually are, mm-hmm. you know, and that and, and that the self-criticism kind of goes off the rails there sometimes, you know, um, gets super, super hot and being able to balance that becomes a problem. Um, and creating observational distance in a situation like that and kind of breathing through it and seeing what is true. Um, can be really, really helpful. So the last part of how to grow mighty is uh, gratitude, right? Mm -hmm. Um, They say being grateful for the good things doesn't erase the difficult things. Um, And being grateful for what you have doesn't work, but being grateful for who you have and for how things happened does work which I found Mm -hmm. kind of an interesting idea um, because I'd never really made that distinction in gratitude work before. Um, But I really, really liked this one thing. It's when you are cruel to yourself, contemptuous and shaming, you only increase the cruelty in the world. When you are kind and compassionate to yourself, you increase the kindness and compassion in the world. And I thought that that was kind of a neat thing, you know, Um, that I don't... I have looked at my own self-criticism from, uh, you know, I mean, from a somewhat solipsistic perspective, you know, that it's all about me. And in order for me to be okay, like I have to be super, super hard on myself so that I meet these, you know, uh, un like unachievable standards, you know. Um, but all of that inner cruelty just increases the overall amount of cruelty in the world, whether you are being cruel to yourself or someone else. The amount of mm-hmm. cruelty in the world is increased. I think that's a really neat idea. Yeah, I really like that part. So mm-hmm. one of my favorite parts about the, the church that I attend is at the beginning of every service, the minister does what they call uh, joys and sorrows. Mm-hmm. So everyone is first invited to share sorrow so like Mm -hmm. something they're grieving something they're struggling with and and as people share that when that part is done the the minister says um you know we're basically these are our burdens may they be lightened because they are shared Mm -hmm. and then you share your joys like your happy news your good thing whatever you know and then she says may these joys be magnified because they are Mm -hmm. shared Right. And so, mm-hmm. like, it was a concept I haven't really thought about critically until I was in that experience, especially the gratitude for people I have, the gratitude for how things happen, including how you get things done or how you make things happen. I like that. I feel deep appreciation and gratitude for the people who support me and mm-hmm. and being able to do that for them. But but the idea that there there is a an energy in the world and you are made of that energy in the book you know they said being compassionate toward yourself not self-indulgent or self-pitying but kind Mm -hmm. is both the least you can do and the single most important thing you can do to make the world a better place Mm -hmm. and I'm like yes how am I magnifying right how am I enabling kindness in the world by how I treat myself how am I enabling cruelty in the world by how I treat myself what energy am I feeding and Mm -hmm. to me that feels like a very deeply spiritual question and one that I really think is worth considering yeah 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 well yeah I mean there's the I I don't remember where this came from but the 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 myth myth of the two wolves Wolves. right you know you have two wolves and the who which one is bigger is the one that you feed Mm-hmm. You know, and so do you want to feed the kindness in the world or do you want to feed the cruelty? And, you know, there's always that thing, too, of like, you know, you have to remember that when you, when you're concerned, always concerned about other people, that you are also a people. Right. You know, that you are a person and that if you're if you're so concerned about other people, being concerned about yourself shows that that's a principle and not a reaction. 
mm-hmm. you know, a principle by which you live and not a reaction to your own sense of self, your own damaged sense of self. So, yeah. um, so I like that. What was your big idea? What was the aha moment that you took out of this? So I do, I'm, I'm really intrigued by the kindness or cruelty that you are enabling in the world. But I, I was really struck by the idea that healing hurts and the old strategies for managing old pain don't work. Like, yeah. I think there's there's a lot there about if you are going to intentionally connect with mm-hmm. your own pain or rage or grief, it is going to hurt, but that yeah. is okay. Mm-hmm. But you're going to need new strategies for getting through that because that yeah. healing process doesn't work the way that what created the need for that healing worked. So mm-hmm. I, I really like that. What... What about you? What was your big idea? I think the, the wolf that you feed, mm-hmm. you know, adding the adding to the cruelty in the world or are you going to add to the kindness? You know, yeah. the, the way that I treat myself is not an isolated thing. It does leak out. It does affect, you know, the people around me and the people who love me. And, you know, and just like increasing that amount of energy. What energy do I want to put out into the world? Um, that's something that I'm going to be wrestling with. Because I think that that's a big, big challenge for me, you know. Yeah. Uh, speaking of challenges, what was your challenge? What did you resist in this oh, reading? God. I think that this I, is probably going to be the same answer yeah, for both of us. Just the whole mad woman metaphor. Like, I mean, come on. It's 2021. Mm-hmm. Can we please do better? Like, I just, uh, I think it's. Yeah. It's messy. It's it's confusing. It's misogynistic. It's problematic. It's it's whatever. If if mm-hmm. person personifying your inner critic is helpful to you and befriending that is helpful to you great Mm -hmm. but labeling a mad woman putting it in an attic like this it's so it it's proving the need for rethinking it by expressing itself into existence like it's (laughs) yeah it's yeah it's it's just awful Okay, yeah, I'm, I'm copying off your paper. All right, so what is your action and homework for this week? I'm going to oh, go no. ahead and say yeah, mine because you're copying off You have off to go first because I'm copying off your paper. Right. Yeah. Um, what I said is I hate gratitude journals. I guess I'm going to gratitude journal. Um, I guess that's <laughs> something that I will do. Trying to think about it in terms of gratitude for who I have and for uh, how things happened. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that that's an interesting angle on that. So I'm going to try to do that every day, which means I need to put a reminder in my phone because otherwise Good. I will forget. Well, yeah. when you do it, text me. Okay. <laughs> me. Did you did you do your gratitude today, Dr. Mm-hmm. Kelly Jones? <laughs> I'll be like, I'm so grateful that you reminded me. Check. <laughs> Done. I'm grateful for how this reminder happened. Yes. Yes. (laughs) All right. So, Kelly, what's your favorite part of this reading? I like the quote, when you are cruel to yourself, contemptuous and shaming, you only increase the cruelty in the world. When you are kind and compassionate to yourself, you increase the kindness and compassion in the world. I like it. It, that, That is also enabling your own power. There is power in that energy space. There is power in that intention. Mm -hmm. And I like it. I like it too. And yeah, a full agreement. And that's exactly what I had to say about it. It's just that idea is something that I think can be really healing, can integrate these two parts of yourself. Um, I actually did some years ago name that self-critical part of myself, Megara. Mm-hmm. I think after some kind of Greek god or something like I can't remember where the where the original source came from, but there was like a Greek goddess named uh, Megara, or she might have been one of the Graces. I have no idea, but she was kind of a bitch as far as I like remember. As I think, um, which is why I pulled her out. Um, but uh, but the the integration of you know, and again, this goes back to the trauma discussions that we had in season one. The integration of the one who knows. And the the person who just gets through the day, I think, is is facilitated by that inner kindness. And mm-hmm. I think that that's something that um, that is a powerful process, but needs to be done with love. Yes. No keeping. OK, bottom line. Let's just say as a general rule, I think we can all agree. No keeping anybody in your attic. Yes. OK, let's just not right. do that. Let's just not. <laughs> 
<laughs> to join in the discussion on Twitter, follow me at Lonnie Dine Rich and Kelly at Dr. Kelly Jones and use the hashtag Big Strong Yes. Also, be sure to follow Chipperish Media at Chipperish to stay connected with all of our podcasts. You can find out more about the Doctors Nagoski and Burnout at burnoutbook.net. Patreon supporters are getting exclusive content like Let's Watch Roulette, where Lonnie and Ian Martin from Passion of the Nerd react to a randomly chosen movie or TV show for $5 and up supporters, while $10 and up supporters get to attend show recordings live. And our conversations after the show are so much fun, so y'all should come. They are so fun, yes. They're so good. <laughs> and we've got a new stretch goal. Once we hit 500 subscribers, we'll unlock the monthly chip chat where Lonnie will host a private one-hour Zoom call open to every supporter to talk about whatever. So if you haven't pledged your support yet, now is the time. Speaking of supporters, this episode of Big Strong Yes was brought to you by the Chipperish Media Producers who support us on Patreon at the Power Producer level. These people are the reason why Big Strong Yes is coming to you free and ad-free right now. So thank you to Abby, Alice, Christina, Erica, Jonathan, Kevin, Kristen, Rose, Sarah, Shelley, Stephania, and Stephanie. And this week's special message for our Power Producers, turning to look at uncomfortable truths, turning to face the strange is a terrifying advantage. We will be back next time with our season finale, discussing the conclusion and our overall reactions to the whole burnout book. Until then, today's closing quote is from the one and only Bell Hooks, who said, mm -hmm. your first love is self-love. Self-love begins with taking that fearless inventory where you're able to go into the attic or the closet of yourself and see what's there. What do you appreciate about yourself? <laughs>